welcome to Widowcast Podcast, where you learn how to find the strength to get through your journey and the skills to coach other widows. This is not your average grief group. This is your journey group. It just may show you the way to make something amazing come out of the emotional pain and trauma of widowhood. I'm your host, Joanne Philomena. I'm the best-selling author of Widowed and Widow Coach, and I'm a professional certified life coach. Let the healing and your personal journey begin. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 137. Um, And this episode, this week, I want to talk a little bit about financial security, because I know this is a big thing for many, many widows out there. And I wanted to address this, because I think one of the saddest things I see is when a widow is freaked out about finances because she's just lost her husband, but she puts her head in the sand about it, and tries to push away even thinking about it to the point that she gets in trouble. Her house gets foreclosed on or she has to file bankruptcy because she has ignored looking at exactly where she stands financially. So let's talk about that a little bit and talk about your beliefs around your finances, your beliefs around money, especially after losing our spouse, really kind of rocks our world. You know, we're like chugging along, we're doing great. Maybe you work and you have an income, but you know, you also had your husband's income. And when they die, your bills don't get cut in half. Your income may get cut in half, but your bills are the same that they've always been right? Maybe a little bit of difference. Maybe you're buying a little less food a month, but gosh, that's about it, you know? So I want to talk about that today. First, I want to tell you, last week I was at Coach's Mastermind in Dallas. Those of you who listen to me probably know by now that it's like my annual pilgrimage back to Coach's Mastermind. Um, It takes place in Plano, Texas, just north of Dallas in the north end of Dallas and I love it because it's a gal it's a gathering of life coaches and they all coach all kinds of things right this isn't just a widow coaches gathering although I would love to create that it's been in the back of my mind you all all of you who are listening who are my certified widow coaches I so want to recreate this for all of us It is so inspirational to go hear other coaches speak, learn new things, be reminded of things that we already know. You know how that is? Sometimes somebody says something and it's like, yeah, I knew that, but I've really not been applying it. So it was exciting to do and it was huge this year. I think the very first coaches mastermind I went to, there were maybe 50 of us, maybe And now this last one was over 400 coaches. So it's growing massively and a lot of fun. But financial security, when I asked all of you about what is like the biggest issue in your life right now, many of you did come back saying finances and wanting to achieve some kind of financial security. And I get that because that's kind of what creates a lot of the certainty in our life. And certainty was the thing that 
I felt I had the least of after Jim passed away because all of my daily routines were just kind of out the window. I think I have even confessed on this podcast that right after he died, I wasn't even sure that I was remembering to brush my teeth. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was brushing my teeth, but man, it was pretty hit and miss because I think I was in such a state of shock and so many days went by like, you know, an entire day could go by and then well into the next day and going, wow, did I brush my teeth? You know, so all of that like shakes up your life. It shakes up your sense of certainty in life. It's not just attached to finances, but it's attached to knowing what each day is kind of going to play out like. Having your routines that you always do, it gives you a feeling of certainty. That's why getting back into some kind of routine in your life after loss is so important because you begin to rebuild certainty for yourself. But yes, your money plays into your sense of certainty and security in a big, big way. Now, when Jim first died, I freaked out about the finances because five months before he passed away, I had been laid off from the job I had been doing for over 20 years um, because a huge company had come and bought out our medium-sized company and they really overextended themselves doing it. They kept me on after buying us out. Even though they had their own director of operations, they still kept me. And um, But they overextended themselves buying up smaller companies. So at some point, they had to file Chapter 13, which meant they had to start reducing their workforce, trying to get their outflow of funds under control. And eventually, in the rounds of layoffs they were doing, they got around to laying me off. So I had been laid off. I was 60, and I kind of freaked out about that. Like, who's going to hire a 60-year-old? They Everybody's going to think I'm just going to retire on them in five years, which, you know, I don't ever plan on retiring, really. Then Jim passed away. And there was no income. There were no survivor benefits on his retirement. There was no life insurance policy. I was not working. Zero income, you guys. And that was scary. That was really scary. And I had other coaches telling me that it was just my thinking, right? It's like, this is just your thinking, Joanne, that widows freak out about money. Widows don't freak out about money. I know rich widows. I know, you know, they would tell me these things. And I would think, gosh, I don't know, you know. And then I got a hold of Dr. Joyce Brothers' old book. And those of you who are older probably remember Dr. Joyce Brothers. She was like um, the psychologist for everybody. It was this the United States psychologist. She was on game shows. She was on talk shows. She wrote a syndicated column that would be run in two major newspapers in the United States. When her husband died, she wrote a book. It's long since out of print. Um, I found it secondhand, and I was reading her book. Now, understand, her husband was also extremely successful in his own right, the two of them lived in a penthouse 
apartment on Park Avenue. That condo apartment apartment was probably worth seven several million dollars, just the apartment alone. Um, when he died, Dr. Brothers, she was still writing her column that was syndicated out to two major publications, and she was booked for speaking engagements for two years out. But here's the thing. She was convinced that she would be living under a freeway overpass in six months. She freaked out about the money, you guys. And when I read that in her book, I thought, oh my gosh, if Dr. Joyce Brothers freaked out about the finances, no wonder I'm freaked out about my finances. I don't have millions of dollars, right? I'm not, you know, I don't own a condo apartment on Park Avenue in Manhattan. So I thought, no, there is something more to this. There is something that happens to us that we get so freaked out that we're convinced we're going to be a bag lady in six months. Okay. Here's the thing. You know, if you've been listening to me, you know this already. I hope you know this already. If you're new to me, I will tell you, I know exactly how our thoughts create our emotions and those emotions drive our actions that create the results we have in our lives. In other words, what we think is what is driving the results around us in our life. So if you are convinced that you're going to be a bag lady in six months, guess what? You are going to be on the street in six months. Because you will absolutely create that because you believe it so solidly, right? When you're thinking that, it feels scary. It feels depressing. And I don't know about you, but when I'm scared about something, I take no action. Fear stops me in my tracks. That's kind of how fear works. Because if you come up on a rattlesnake, and you hear that sound, it should stop you in your tracks. So you freeze and that snake does not hit you, right? <laughs> Bite you. Fear stops me in my tracks and I bet it does the same thing to you. And if we are afraid about the money and we freeze about it, we're paralyzed. We like don't want to look at it. We think, let me just buffer watching things on Netflix all day. So I don't have to feel this scary feeling about the money. And what happens when you bury your head in the sand about your financial situation, because you're so scared about it, is that's when it gets out of control. That's when you do lose everything. The most important thing we can do right after losing our spouse is to assess our financial situation, to look at what money do you have right now? What money is coming in? What money do you need to spend out? One of the first things I did was I opened up an Excel spreadsheet, but you don't have to know how to use a spreadsheet program to do this. You could just do it in a notebook. All I did was I started recording every penny I spent each month. So I would know what did I pay for my phone bill? What did I pay for water? What did I pay for electricity and gas? What did I spend on food? 
How much do I have to save each month to cover my property taxes? All of those. So that I was able to get a really good idea of what my basic monthly spending needed to be without any frills or extras, right? Gave me a general idea from the very beginning because I looked back at our expenses and tried to analyze exactly how much I had to spend each month just on the bills and property tax and food, right? Gas for my car so that I knew what my bottom line it was for each month. This is what I'm spending. This is how much money I have coming in, which at that time was zero. This is how much money I have in my bank account. So this is how long I know I'm going to be okay. Even if I bring in no money. And if that is not a very long period, then you realize, okay, I need to find a way to bring some money in. I, you can see in an instant, once you've got it all laid out, if you're going to be able to make it or not. And it's important you know that. Here's the thing. We get so scared about it, but the truth is, and don't throw stuff at your computer or whatever you're listening to this on. Don't throw stuff at me. Here's the truth. When it comes down to your finances, it's just math. It's just math. It's dollars in, dollars out. And you can figure that out if you're paying attention to it. You can figure that out if you don't go into the drama, right? This is something my coach taught me ages ago. It was like, listen, your finances, it's just math. Everything else that's going on in your head about your finances is drama, if you let go of the drama, now you can figure out the math and make it work. So you do want to pay attention. You do want to find out about, oh, social security. If you have kids at home, they get survivor benefits. If you are 60 years old or more, you get survivor benefits. No, if you're 37 years old, you don't get widow benefits from his social security. If you're 37 and you don't have underage kids at home, you don't get that. And I've heard people rant and rail about that, like, just because I'm not 60 and it's widow benefits and it's my rights. It's not. You're 37. You're employable, right? If you are 60 or older, you do get widow benefits from social security. There's a lot of caveats with that. And I talk a lot about that, answer a lot of questions on a video. I did a Facebook live in my free Facebook group. It's called widows empowering widows. If you're not in there, why not <laughs> go find it, and join widows empowering widows and go look at the videos. You'll find the video where I discussed social security and talked a lot about the ins and outs of that. Um, I don't cover a lot about how, what kind of benefit you get for underage kids at home because I do not have direct experience of that. I did not have underage children still at home when Jim died. My, our kids were all fully grown. Okay. 
you want to learn about this. You want to reach out to Social Security if you're 60 or older. I'll give you a tip right now. If you're 60 and you're making good money, you're working, probably you're not going to qualify for it. Because if you are under less than full retirement age, for every dollar you make over $17,000 a year, Social Security, no, let me say that again, for every $2 you make over $17,000 a year, Social Security will take back $1, right? It's about $17,000, don't quote me on that, it might be like $17,254, I have no idea. I just keep that $17,000 number in my head to know that if I make more than $17,000, then Social Security starts taking money back, right? At a steep rate, because if you think about them taking back a dollar for every $2 you earn, it's like being taxed 50% right off the top. And you're still going to pay taxes on the full amount. So you do want to watch that. You want to educate yourself about it. Again, it's like don't put your head in the sand. Learn about these things. Figure it out. If you are eligible for winter benefits and you're not working and making tons of money that would just kind of erase it all, do apply for them because it gives you that little bit of certainty. Social security is not a lot. You're not going to be able to just kick back and live on it. Trust me. It's, but it's a little something that's coming in that gives you that little bit of financial security in your life. And it might make all the difference to you. What other ways do you make up immediately for the difference in math if you don't have enough coming in to cover the basics that you have to spend each month? Here are interim things, and I seriously tell my widow coaches about this too. It may sound crazy, but it's you do what you have to do. The first thing is you sell some things, right? If you have two cars because your husband had a car and you had a car and you're like, oh, you know, I'm a new widow. I just can't even think about his car. Think about it. You might need to get that on the market and sell it to cover some of your expenses, right? If you have things at home that you don't really use, you don't really want anymore, you can sell them. What do you have that you can sell? Okay. Here's another thing that you can do. I talk about this a lot. If you go on Craigslist, Google it. Don't email me and say, could you explain how to get on Craigslist? Google it, Craigslist. When you get on Craigslist for your area, look for the category of free stuff. I think it's under items for sale. There's a category that says free. Go look at the free stuff. Go see what you could go get. Bring it home. Clean it up a little. Take a picture and then put it on Facebook Marketplace for sale. I'm not even kidding. You can go find somebody's coffee table that they don't want anymore. They're like, just come get this for free. I just need it gone. So you go get that coffee table and you bring it home and you take a picture with your smartphone of that coffee table and then you go on Facebook Marketplace and figure out how you list something and you list it there for $25. Now, it's maybe taken you 15 minutes to go get the table. You come home, you put it on Facebook Marketplace. Within a day, somebody reaches out and says, I want that. 
They come, they hand you $25 in cash, they take the table. Seriously, there are millennials who have caught on to this and they're making like $1,000 every weekend, <laughs> right? Their weekend when they're not in college or not working, they are racing around grabbing free stuff and reselling it. It is a way to create income in the interim. You might have to move. And again, I know this feels like so much drama. I get it. Oh my gosh, I get it. I just sold my house in New York a couple months ago. You might financially need to move. It's a very good reason to make that move decision. Here's a bad reason to decide to sell your house and move. I'm sad in this house. I'll be happy in a different house. Bad idea. You're taking sad with you because sad is coming from your brain. It's not coming from the house you live in. I promise you, you will just take sad with you. Bad idea. Great idea. This house is so much more than I need now. And I can't take care of these yards by myself. That was always his thing to go out there and mow and, you know, cut back bushes and stuff. I can't maintain this house call a real estate agent, right? That's step number one. Don't try to figure it all out in advance. Don't try to figure out where am I going to live? What am I going to be able to buy? What am I going to do? Just call a real estate agent. Say, will you come talk to me about this? Can you help me figure this out? Can you help me see if it would be worth it for me to sell this and what I could get in place of this? Because you could sell your house, maybe get closer to where your kids are, maybe get further away from where your kids are, whatever's going to serve you best. Maybe you, you move to an area that has a lower cost of living that's easier to survive. Maybe you just move into something much smaller, right? Like you can sell your house and then buy a small condo outright so you don't have a mortgage and you don't have a yard to take care of. You need to look at doing that. Maybe you sell your house and then you rent a small apartment for a year or so while you decide what it is you want to do, where you want to go from there. But don't, what you don't do is if you are in a house that is too big for you to take care of and it has a mortgage payment that is too big for you to try to pay, like the mortgage payment is just beyond you, don't put your head in the sand because your house will eventually get foreclosed on because you can't pay the mortgage. And then you lose it all. Then you don't get any money out of your house. It just gets foreclosed on. So it is much better to think about putting it on the market and getting some of the money back out of your house to help you get yourself set up than it is to just lose your house altogether. When I talk to widows who have had their house foreclosed on, I just want to cry for them because I think, oh my gosh, if they paid attention a little sooner, they could have sold it and got something out of it instead of now they're sleeping on a friend's sofa. Don't put your head in the sand. And I know for some of you, it feels like I can't sell our family home. This is, this is us. This is where our kids were. That's the drama part. Look at the math. Talk to your kids. Maybe they can help you figure it out, right? 
you have to do something if you're in a house that either has too big of a mortgage payment or is too big and too much for you to personally take care of. Resolve that, right? Of course, if you have skills, if you've worked before in the past, if you know that, you know, you think I would love to just work in a little gift shop a few days a week and maybe I could make enough money to survive on, get out there and look for that job. Don't just sit at home thinking no one's going to hire me and I'm, I have this widow fog brain and there's no hope. There is hope. You won't know unless you get out there and apply for a hundred different jobs. If you go out there and apply for a hundred different jobs, you're going to get hired for something. Right? The other choice outside of looking for a job is to do something entrepreneurial which is the choice that I made. First, I took another corporate job and it was a nightmare. I quit that job realizing that I was done with the corporate world. At the age of 61, I did not want to be a number cruncher for anybody. And that's what, that's what was happening there. So I left that job and decided that I would get certified as a life coach. Coaching is what I'd been doing in the corporate world for decades. And I thought, this is it. Coaching is what I loved more than anything else. And that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. So I went and became certified and learned how to set up a business on my own. So you can do something entrepreneurial, whether you get into a multi-level marketing product, just make sure it's a product you love and you're great at sales and you're not just making money for someone else. You want to make sure you're going to make money for you doing that. There are companies out there. I have seen widows that I know who have become very successful with doing that kind of thing. Um, becoming certified as a certified widow coach and setting up an online business to reach out and help other widows is an option. I teach that class, right? You can reach out to me about that. There are many things you can do as an entrepreneur, what are you good at? What do you love? What are you passionate about? You can begin to build something for yourself that brings in income. It may not bring in income like in a week. It may take a lot of work on your part to really get established. And you can do that if you've got an interim way to survive while you build something for yourself. That interim way to survive is sell something, live off of what you have if you have a little bit of reserves, or get a part-time job that you can do while you build something for yourself. There's lots of ways around this, you guys. Now, here is another lesson from my own life coach, okay? She is something pretty special, <laughs> and she taught me something that I would have never thought of before because I would always think if I need more money if if I can't cover my expenses then I need to cut my expenses right I would first say okay well I'm gonna have to cancel the cable tv I'm gonna have to cancel my music subscription I'm gonna have to stop buying this I'm gonna have to buy cheaper food I start trying to spend less and maybe that's where almost all of us go to when we realize, oh, I don't have enough money coming in. I have to spend less. 
she said, no, that's a bad idea. Why are you going to treat yourself like that? Why are you going to live like that? Instead of spending less, what happens if you decide you're just going to make more money? Ah, it's like a whole new concept. I was like, what? Instead of cutting back on my expenses, just go make more money. And then I realized, oh, yeah, it's just math. If you get all of the drama out of the way and you look at that equation, like this is how much I spend a month, this is how much money I have per month, so I need a few hundred dollars more to get by, go make a few hundred dollars more instead of cutting back on the life that you're used to living. Isn't that an amazing concept? I mean, think about that. Just think about that. Instead of giving up, go get. Go get. Maybe you have a job right now. And you could go ask for a raise. Don't go in and say, I need a raise because my husband died. That's not going to work. You go in and you say, this is what I do for the company. This is the impact I've had on this company. This is where I would like to make a greater impact for this company. And I think I'm worth this much salary per month because of what I contribute. That's how you get a raise. Fill in the blanks. <laughs> Go get a raise. Now let's talk about debt because some of you have been left with debt or maybe you are now going into debt a little bit because you're putting stuff on your credit card that you normally wouldn't, but you don't have enough cash coming in. So let's talk about that. Women don't want to talk about it. We want to, that's like, oh my God, it's, it's shameful and it's a dirty word. And it's not. Debt is not a dirty word. And it's not shameful. All debt is, is that you're buying money to pay for something else, right? You have something you need. You don't have the money for it. So you go over to the credit card and you're like, okay, I will pay you this much interest if I can buy enough money from you to go buy the thing I need. That's what debt is. That's what borrowing is. And sometimes you need to be able to borrow to get by long enough to build something where you can put it back. Now, here's a question that I pose in coaching, and I want you to ask yourself this question. If you were $50,000 in debt, and you suddenly got a $50,000 windfall that you weren't expecting. I don't know, say you have like a rich uncle that dies or something, or you win the lottery. All of a sudden you get a $50,000 windfall. What do you do with that 50,000? I'm telling you four years ago, I would have immediately said, oh, I pay off the debt. I pay off all those credit cards and all those bills. So I'm not 50,000 in debt anymore. Wipe my hands clean. I break even, right? I won $50,000. I'm paying off all that 50,000 debt. Would you be surprised if I told you that I would not answer the question that way today? That I can so clearly see how you can take $50,000, invest in yourself to build something for yourself that creates constant income. And then when you do that and you have the constant income, now you can start paying down your debt. 
right? I know a fellow coach of mine who she went $50,000 in debt. Now, I don't recommend you run out and go fifty grand in debt, but she did building a coaching practice as a business coach. She was putting stuff on credit cards and getting her business set up and $50,000 in the hole doing that. And then she did her first business retreat for female entrepreneurs and she made $100,000. Oh my gosh. So now she has $100,000. She can pay the $50,000 in debt off and she has $50,000 going forward to continue to build that business. How amazing is that? Instead of gaining $50,000 and paying off your debt immediately, you should invest in yourself or invest it in some way that it creates ongoing income for you. This is how you create. All of this depends on one thing, you guys. I know you're listening to this and you're like, she's blowing my mind. Of course I would have to pay off my debt. I have no idea what I would do as an entrepreneur. I get it. I get it. Because the first thing you have to be able to do is believe that you can stand on your own two feet and support yourself. And if you can't believe that in this moment, I want you to tell yourself this. I want you to tell yourself, I think I can begin to believe that I can believe I can stand on my own two feet. I think I can begin to believe that. Because if you can open that crack of belief just a little bit, then you begin to create it. Then it happens. It happened for me. I hit that month where I looked at that month and said, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to be okay. I really can do this. What I'm doing is working and I'm going to be okay. And as widows, I know you get it. I tell that to other people and they just look at me weird. But I know if I tell that to another widow, like I had a month financially where I looked at it and went, oh my gosh, I'm going to be okay. And you know, it makes tears come to my eyes. Maybe it makes tears come to your eyes just thinking about it. That is such a big thing. First, though, you have to believe it's possible. You have to believe you have that in you to do that. And you do. We all do. It's called post-traumatic growth. I did a whole podcast on post-traumatic growth three years ago. What podcast number was it? Let me look it up for you podcast episode number 18. That's how far ago it was. This is 137. If you go back and find that, I talk about post-traumatic growth. You know you're feeling post-traumatic stress after losing your husband. But did you know all of that pain and trauma of the loss can also launch you into amazing growth in your life? And that's where you want to head. You can look into talking to a financial advisor. My only caution for you would be always know where your money is. Know who you're talking to. Don't just call any financial advisor out of the blue. Best if you can get a recommendation from a friend and then go in 
feeling very cynical about it because there are millionaires who were scandalously ripped off by financial advisor like Bernie Madoff. You may have heard that name in the news. He took billions of dollars from people. But there are financial advisors in the world who are honest, who are wonderful. It's what they do for a living. And they can advise you. So that, that might be a good idea. If you've got money in some different places and you're still trying to figure that all out, right? Because maybe your husband looked after it all and you're like, I don't even know where we have money and what accounts. Watch your mailbox because statements will show up and see if you can find a recommendation for a really trustworthy financial advisor. And again, even if you have a financial advisor now handling your investments, always know where your money is. You don't turn your back on it and trust anybody. I know that. I have heard that over and over again from big names in finance. You must always know where your money is. So believe in yourself. Get out there and build something for yourself. Start taking action. Figure it out. Know your numbers. You may feel sick to your stomach when you sit down and try to assess how much money is in the banks, how much money do I have coming, how much am I spending each month? I know that sick stomach feeling. It used to do that to me too because I had so much drama in my head about it. But understand, it's just math. And you want to see if there's a shortfall and then have what you need to do to take care of that shortfall. Don't fall prey to losing everything you have because you've put your head in the sand. Don't do that. <laughs> Okay, you guys, I have a new Widow Coaches class coming up. It's starting October 25th. If you are interested in learning coaching skills and becoming a certified Widow Coach in that class, you are investing in yourself to do this. I would love to talk to you about it. You can reach out to me in my email, Joanne, J-O-A-N-N, no E, J-O-A-N-N, at joannethelifecoach.com. Drop me an email. I will love to talk to you about it, share more about that with you and why I'm so passionate about it, why I love my certified widow coaches so much. I get to see them grow into this. I get to see them understand that they can begin to take control of their own life and their own income. And that's just everything. Okay, you guys, get out there and find some joy in your day and take a look at your numbers. Love you all. Bye.